welcome to Talk of the Bay. I'm Christine Barrington. This little bit of musical genius is Dizzy Gillespie's Groovin' High, and it's a bit you'll be hearing regularly on KSQD because it opens a terrific program new to the squid but well-known to dedicated listeners for more than two decades. Gary Shapiro's talk show, From the Bookshelf, has been featuring the giants and the hidden gems of popular culture since 1999. You can now enjoy his on-air banter with authors, musicians, historians, and icons of the entertainment industry every other Thursday at 6 p.m. right here on KSQD. And so here to tell us all about it is Gary Shapiro. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome, Gary. Thank you. I like your enthusiastic introduction. I am the queen of enthusiasm here at KSQD. (laughs) That's my job. Well, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it's a joy. So we have about the next hour to take a tour through your pop culture wonderland, visiting past shows and looking forward to a new future right here at KSQD. Wonderful. Yeah. So you've sat down virtually with extraordinary people, to say the least. It must be incredibly enriching and pretty darn fun to do your show, it's, correct? It's such a, a gift. Yeah, it's really wonderful. I mean, you know, imagine that you're reading a book and you'd say, gosh, I'd sure like to ask the author this. And then I get to do that. Right? Yeah. That's what I've been doing. And it's it's wonderful. Because I love to read and I love to talk. So, <laughs> Isn't that the perfect combination? I know. I, yeah. I love having a show here, too, because it gives me an excuse to talk to interesting people. Yeah, yeah. And it expands my world. So, given you are also a DJ on the station, you have two different music programs. That's Shapiro right. Shapiro at large. Shapiro Mondays. at large. Monday at 11 a.m. Shapiro yeah. at night. Thursdays at midnight. Right. Do you actually come in at midnight to do that show? Oh, yeah. Wow. Okay. So then you'll be coming in a second time on Thursdays, every other Thursday at 6 p.m. to do your show from the bookshelf. And since you are an official music aficionado, you know a lot about music. How I want to do this show is for the most part, I'm going to play a song. Yeah. And then you're going to tell our listeners how that song relates to interviews you've done and whatever comes to mind because you're sort of encyclopedic. You have a deep encyclopedia (laughs) bookshelf in your head. You always have a lot that you can say. Okay. So I make it easy on myself. I play a song and I let you roll. So here we go. Here's the first one. So this one should be abundantly familiar. (laughs) Oh, yes. Tell our listeners how this relates to some of the interviews you've done. Well, Country Joe and the Fish uh, performed that song famously at Woodstock. I've had a lot of guests, actually, who were at Woodstock. And one of those was Barry Melton, who is, in fact, the fish of Country Joe and the Fish. (laughs) And uh, what a sensational guitarist, a wonderful guy. He didn't write a book. I just asked him, you know, would I found his email and said, would you be on From the Bookshelf? And he said, oh, yeah, I'd love to. That's one of the greatest things about From the Bookshelf, right. is if you ask people 
to come on the show, they almost always say yes. <laughs> Isn't it great? Yeah. And his parents wanted him to be a lawyer. No, no, he wanted to be a lawyer, and his parents in- <laughs> encouraged him to be star. a rock and roll star, right? Yeah, yeah. I loved that little turn. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I was a, it was a wonderful interview, and he's a terrific, wonderful person. I really love him. Is there another interview that you could associate with Woodstock? Well, yeah, I've had quite a few good ones. I, I, in fact, let me think of all the people who have been at Woodstock who have been on my show. John Sebastian was on the show, you know, famously leader of the Love and Spoonful, but then he opened Woodstock. I think he was the opening performer on Woodstock. And I had uh, Neil Young, who's been on the show. He was at Woodstock. Wow. I looked through your archives. I didn't see Neil Young. There. Ah, because uh, when he appeared on my show, uh, he had written a novel. This was before he had published his memoir. Is, and uh, under the name N.J. Young was the name of his. <laughs> was, see, he wanted to see if the novel would, you know, soar on its own, you know, without the Neil Young name attached to it. And as it turned out, it did not. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but it was a lot of fun to talk to Neil. I didn't uh, particularly love his historical novel, which is called A Ship's Tale. I mean, but you know, I didn't hate it. It just was not so great. And I found out that he wrote the entire novel and his memoirs later. Using a uh, speech-to-text program. Yeah. <laughs> Did he edit? Uh, not, not, not all that well. And, uh, and in fact, he, he writes emails this way, too. So I got, you know, usually what happens is I say, would you be on my show? And they say yes. And I say, well, let's do it this date. And they said, okay. And then on that date, we talk. And then that's, that's the whole thing. But not with Neil. Neil was like, uh, he sent me like 35 emails <laughs> leading up to it. And then like the next day after we had recorded the interview... I was driving to work and my phone rang. Yeah, Gary, it's Neil. <laughs> I was you know, kind of surprised to hear from him. And he said, I'm not sure that interview came out so well. You want to try it one more time? I said, okay. So we recorded a second one, but we used the first one. <laughs> well, so you got a couple of hours with Neil. I did. And one of the nice parts of that was a, uh, a kind of a 90 minute or two hour chat that we had that wasn't on the air. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll air that sometime. So he was at Woodstock. Um, Henry Diltz was, he was really wonderful interview. And, uh, if you've never heard of Henry Diltz, you know, his work you do. because his, he is one of the great photographers of all time. Now he was, had a rock band at one time and the band was produced by Phil Spector, but Phil Spector took so long monkeying around with the production that by the time the record came out, 30 years had gone by or something like that. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, but, uh, Someone had lost interest. <laughs> yeah, but Henry Diltz was a friend of Steve Stills, and Steve invited him to come down and listen to his band rehearse at this rehearsal hall, and the band was called Buffalo Springfield. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Henry Diltz was hanging out, you know, watching the band perform, and then he had a camera, and he took pictures of them. And then um, a local magazine was interested, and so he sold these pictures, and that opened the door for him to become a photographer. And he became... A very successful photographer. He was the official photographer of the monkeys. Any picture you mm-hmm. see of the monkeys, he mm-hmm. took. He was uh, later the official photographer of David Cassidy. Followed David Cassidy all over right. the world. Right. He said David Cassidy was a. It was wonderful like Teen guy. Beat magazine that hired him. Right? Yeah, 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 something Teen like that. Beat. Yeah. I remember Teen Beat. And um, I, I actually once had the um, the editor of Tiger Beat on my show too. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so Henry Dills took all these great pictures, and uh, he told me this wonderful story. He, so he was at the edge of the stage at Woodstock. Well, I actually have a clip. Can oh, I play a sure. little clip? play a clip, sure. All right, let's hear, actually, one of the voices of your guests. Right. Well, How Michael Lang hired me to fly out from L.A., and, and I spent two weeks before the, the uh, festival uh, filming the building of the stage and 
all that stuff, and then, then of course, the concert itself and um, the aftermath. What was your experience at Woodstock? Well, for the first two weeks, it was kind of like being at summer camp. You know, it was like beautiful uh, upstate New York, you know, all the green trees and blue skies and all these hippie carpenters building this huge wooden deck in the middle of an alfalfa field. And the young hippie girls would bring lunch by, you know, and stuff. They had a whole crew of kids hired to do all this work. And, and I would just roam around photographing everybody, you know. And one day, suddenly, there were about 20 people sitting up in the middle of this alfalfa field on the hillside. And it's like, what are those guys doing there? Oh, yeah, this is going to be a concert. I mean, you know, I kind of lost track of that fact, you know, and the, my reverie, you know. And um, and then of course, and then the next day there was two thousand people there, and then the next day there was you know four hundred thousand people there. <laughs> they were early arrivals, and the, the thing was they they hadn't built the fences yet. But these people arrived days early, and by the time they were ready to build the fences, it was too late. And so, what was your impressions of the concert? Did oh you? God, well it was amazing. Of course, I mean, being the official photographer, I could stay up on stage or go any place I wanted to, and. Here was this huge crowd, which looked huge from the stage, but it wasn't until the, the, the end of the first day when someone brought in a New York Times and there was an aerial view. Then you went, oh, my God, you know, because you couldn't see that from this. So you could just see uh, lots of people, you know, going out in all directions. But when you saw that aerial view, you, you, it just was, you know. I mean, we didn't know we were making history, you know, until we were into the thing. Oh, that's great. Nice yeah, to hear that again. Right. Well, I have to tell you the story he told me about Crosby, Stills, and Nash. So, um, Henry Diltz, the photographer, he, uh, Crosby, Stills, and Nash had formed their band, but they hadn't decided what they were going to call themselves, you know, because in those days, every band had, you know, crazy names with Jefferson Airplane, the Buffalo Springfield, whatever. And uh, he took them out to this cool uh, old house that he knew about that had this old couch sitting out in front. And he put them on the couch and he took their picture. And the picture came out great. And the guys were really thrilled with the picture, but they decided that night, the night they took the picture, they decided, well, we're going to call ourselves Crosby, Stills, and Nash. And the problem is that we're sitting in the wrong order on the couch. <laughs> so could we go back and take the picture again, but we'll sit, you know, and as Crosby, Stills, and Nash? And Henry said, of course, let's go. So they pile in the car and they drive back. The house had been torn down. It was gone <laughs> overnight. <laughs> <laughs> Did they find another couch? <laughs> no, they just used the picture that they had originally taken. <laughs> Perfect. Well, that's a great story. And if you've just tuned in and you're wondering who I'm talking to and what we're talking about, this is Talk of the Bay for KSQD Santa Cruz. And my guest is Gary Shapiro. And we are talking about his show from the bookshelf that has been going out over the airwaves since 1999, a long time. But now it's landing here at KSQD, airing every other Thursday at 6 p.m. And so we're doing a tour through, Gary, many of your shows, and I can tell from looking at you that you have something to say. Oh, I was just going to you know, say it's, it's so nice of you to have me because I don't get enough uh, airplay here at, at K-Squid. <laughs> you really don't. <laughs> Not with uh, a two uh, DJing stints and now a third talk show, but there is a reason people enjoy listening to you. You have a kind of encyclopedic knowledge of pop culture, and your show helps augment all these stories and because you're a dj and i know you love music we're going to play another song and you're going to tell us what it has to do with your show all right here we go it's a time 
Just so good. A great record of all time. Right, yeah. All right. Well, first I have to tell you about that record, and then I'll tell you what it re- okay. how it relates. So, uh, in the wake of the Beatles, there was a British invasion of great rock bands. There from, was. There was, of course. <laughs> and among those great rock bands, my favorite was the Zombies. Yeah, sure. There was the Kinks and the Rolling Stones and all them, but the Zombies—they were so great. And their their first two hits, "Tell Her No" and "She's Not There." Such great songs. And then if you went deeper into their catalog, you found all these wonderful songs, Whenever You're Ready, Leave Me Be. So so great. And the, their lead vocalist, Colin Blunstone, such a beautiful voice. Uh, and all those, they, they wrote all the songs in kind of a melancholy minor key. It was so mm-hmm. nice. And um, the band was never a success. They had a, a, like a number one single and then a number four single and then a number 32 single. And then like nobody paid any attention to them. And so they decided, well, this is, banging our heads against the wall and we're going to quit. So in 1967, they decided they'd had enough and they were going to record one final album and then disperse. And the album they recorded was called Odyssey and Oracle. And it's it's a brilliant record. I mean, it's right up there with, uh, you know, Rubber Soul and Revolver or uh, Pet Sounds or any of those landmark albums of that era. And the thing was that uh, the label didn't even release it in the United States. Only was released in England. And uh, Columbia sent... Al Cooper, you know, the songwriter, producer, musician, over to England to scout new music in 1969. And he was over there and he heard the album, Odyssey and Oracle. And and he came back and he said, you know, you've got these, you own this record. You could put it out on your own label. You already own it. It's called Odyssey and Oracle by the Zombies. It's so great. They said, oh, all right. So they put it out. And as an afterthought, they released Time of the Season, the song you just played as a single. And it became the biggest selling single of 1969. And they were anxious for the zombies, you know, to come and tour and, you know, but they had already broken up. They'd already gone their own separate ways. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Rod Argent of the band had formed his own band, Argent. And, wow. and Colin Blunstone actually just left the business, but he came back as a solo artist. And now, today, in 2023, the, uh, the zombies are still around and they're together and they're playing live and that's really wonderful. And I got this wonderful opportunity to talk to Colin Blunstone. And the way it happened was... I asked him Mm. (laughs) and it was really a thrill to talk to him because for me, it was like, you know, talking to Paul McCartney. I mean, he was as important to me and it's, it's an amazing thing when there's somebody that you've admired for 50 years and then you get to sit down and talk to them. That's one of the great things about from the bookshelf. And we had a a wonderful conversation. I, I, I loved talking to him. And then the zombies came and played at the catalyst and I went backstage and introduced myself and he was very nice. We got our picture taken together. I love living vicariously through you. <laughs> That's great. That's a great story. So let's go to another song and get some more stories from you. Okay? Okie dokie. All right. We'd like for all of you to join us as we go back to the years, back to 1920, where the flapper era and probation. Prohibition. <laughs> and no drinking in the excitement of the happiness of the roaring 20s. Fly with us in your imagination. SOS, SOS, Captain, we are lost. Our ship is floundering in the sea by wind and rain. We're tossed. Lightfoot's here, lightfoot's there. Hear the shrieks and groans. The captain shouts all hands on deck and hear a mournful moan. Oh, how I wish 
I was in Peoria. <laughs> so some of our listeners will know what that's all about, and many won't. Oh, yeah, I think people don't know the Smothers Brothers anymore. <laughs> well, some do, but a lot of people wouldn't have known them from that song, right? Oh, I but love tell them. us, why do they matter? Well, the Smothers Brothers, not only were they uh, great entertainers and recording artists before they became television stars, they had, then they had a terrible sitcom. Did you know that? They had a sitcom. Mm-mm. It was before there was their variety show. They had a sitcom where um, Tom was an angel. I remember that yeah, from yeah. the interview. <laughs> yeah. and, but uh, then, um, then they had their famous Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour, which was a landmark show in the history of television. It was canceled in 1969, not because it wasn't one of the most successful shows on the air, but because they were determined to be topical. Um, they were kind of activists. They were, absolutely. Yeah. Television activists against the war in Vietnam, and against President uh, Johnson, and then President Nixon. Mm-hmm. And, well, I've never interviewed either of the Smothers Brothers, although I'd love to. But I did have David Biancooli on the show a couple of times. Yeah. David Biancooli, you, you've probably listened to him on Fresh Air. He's a regular contributor to Fresh right. Air. And he's kind of a rock star to me. I was like, oh, David Biancooli. Yeah, he's a brilliant guy. <laughs> and um, he also wrote a history of television that I, I think is top-notch, and, and both... Uh, books on the occasion of publication of both of his books. He also wrote a book about the Smothers Brothers that was called something. It's called <laughs> Dangerously Funny, the Uncensored Story of the Smothers Brothers Comedy. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that was that was a good um, mm-hmm. that was a good show. And so I got to interview David Biancooli a couple of times and uh, I love talking to him. He's a terrific guy. Yeah, he's cool. Well I have a little excerpt just so people can get drawn into the world you created. Oh All right. good. I'd like Ready? to hear it myself. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing what they did in terms of music. And when I went back and watched these shows for the first time in years, now the E! Network had repeated them in 91, but before that they hadn't been seen since the Smothers Brothers were thrown off the air uh, in the 60s. But if you go back to those for the first time after having seen them, uh, it's amazing, at least it was to me, how many of the musical artists that I still revere I was introduced to by that program. But they were starting to lose audience in the final season because in the first two years, the reason that they became such a surprise and instant success was because they did successfully straddle generations during the generation gap. So you had Kate Smith and Simon and Garfunkel on the same show, or you had Mickey Rooney and Betty Davis and The Who, um, and interacting. Not just not just build in the same hour like you would with Ed Sullivan. Right, right. But right. in the final season, that's when they were having that like Donovan in the Round concert, and they were they were inviting the cast of Hair on, and doing more and more things that were aimed at the young generation that Tom uh, wanted to reach and so identified with. So maybe uh, they only lost like four or five million viewers. They were still in the top, you know, twenty or thirty in your top twenty-five. Um, when they were uh, fired, but I would have loved to have seen them ride out the '60s, and you know, with the sort of clout that they had, and the guests that they had, and the connections that they had. You know, when you can get a Beatle to come on and and be a surprise guest on your show without any billing, that's pretty cool. Tommy, uh, Tommy also has a special guest uh, too, and he'd like to introduce him right now. Wouldn't that's you? right, I have a Beatle. <laughs> Yeah, but it's not the kind of beetle you would expect it to be. It's the kind of beetle that you, uh, I think you hoped it would be. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. George Harrison. 
Do you have something important? Something or? very important to say on American television. You know, we don't, we, a lot of times we can't, we don't have opportunity to say anything important because it's American television. Every time you say uh, something, <laughs> and, and try to say something important, they, uh, they uh, Cue the lines. <laughs> well, whether you can say it or not, keep trying to say it. That's what's important. You get that? Yeah. <laughs> that is very important. Cue, Just a minute. Just a minute. Wait a second. Okay. Cue the clap now. <laughs> I remember watching that show. Wow, you watched it live. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I have to tell you something else about the Smothers Brothers and the Beatles. So five years after they were fired, uh, they played the Troubadour. It was their first, you know, kind of comeback performance. And I went to the early show at the Troubadour in Los Angeles. Paul Newman was in the audience. I said hello to him. He looks exactly like me. It was uncanny. But um, (laughs) those of you in the radio audience can't see me, but... But anyway, uh, the Smothers Brothers were terrific, and it was lovely, and I left. That night, at their late show, John Lennon and Harry Nielsen came, and that's the famous night that John Lennon was thrown out of the Troubadour for being a jerk. So that was as close as I came to. All roads lead to the Beatles (laughs) with Gary Shapiro. And in case you've just tuned in, you are listening to Talk of the Bay on KSQD Santa Cruz. My guest is Gary Shapiro, host for a new program to The Squid, from the bookshelf, airing every other Thursday at 6 p.m., but it's been on the air for a very, very long time, since 1999. It was actually on the air earlier than that. It was really? um, created by Billy Harris, who was a, um, a wonderful person, and she hosted uh, Saturday's Child here on, on KSQD right. for many she years. just passed away, right? Yes, and she, had called, she was doing a show on KUSP called From the Bookshelf, where she had people coming in and reading short stories and things that uh, and, uh, on Sunday night. And she said, Gary, darling, would you please come in and <laughs> read a story? So I did. And she said, yeah, that's wonderful. You have to come back again. And uh, eventually I came back again every week and <laughs> took over the show. And, and so. Wow. And it's just been sort of swimming its way through the Santa Cruz airwaves on KUSP and then KSCO. Yes, it was on KSCO. Uh, after KUSP folded in 2016, KSCO picked up the show and they air it on Monday nights. It was really nice of them to have the show. I'm grateful to them. And now they are leaving the airwaves and somebody else has picked you up. Isn't it nice to know that you're wanted? (laughs) It is. It's very, very, very nice. Well, we're going to hear more about Gary Shapiro's brilliance from the bookshelf. But first, we're going to take a short break and we'll be back with more from Talk of the Bay. Hey, you don't be afraid. Take a sad song and make it better. The minute you let it into your heart, then you can start to make it better. <laughs> Hate you. All right, well, welcome oh, back king. to Talk of the Bay, yeah, with Gary Shapiro. And yes, it's the King Gary. And I'm playing songs that relate to shows that you have done from the bookshelf. And tell us about how this one relates to interviews you've done. And this is going to sort of like, you know, go in uh, several different directions, right? Yes, because I not only have done many, many shows about the Beatles, and we can talk about that, but I've also done a couple of really great shows about the King. Uh, In fact, one of my first interviews was P. 
Peter Gorolnik. Peter Gorolnik is the definitive biographer of Elvis. He's written a two-volume wonderful book about Elvis. And actually, Peter Gorolnik, when he was a writer for Rolling Stone magazine, was the first person to really tell me, through his writing, the story of Elvis. Uh, in, in, I think it was in 19... 19- 69 or 68 he wrote an article that was you know a review of the current elvis album whatever it was but he took the opportunity to really tell the elvis story which i hadn't really known until i read that i mean i always knew who elvis was and always admired and loved him but uh, the 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 elvis story is such a fascinating one right and how, how did that impact you well you know i've always you know been a fan but then i started to seek out you know, the Sun Sessions, which weren't so easy to find then. It's not like there was a Sun Sessions album then. You had to go get every Elvis album from the early years, and there was like two or three Sun Sessions on each one. And uh, I started to really collect and listen and understand Elvis rather than just admire him as the current, you know, recording artist that he was then. Um, So I've had Peter Gorelnick on the show. I've also had the wonderful opportunity to talk to Scotty Moore. When Elvis first went into the recording studio in 1954 to record That's All Right Mama, which was the first rock and roll record ever made. You know, we don't know when the first mm-hmm. painting was made or the first sculpture, but we know when rock and roll was mm-hmm. born. And it was at Sun Records in 1954, July 4th, 1954. And, uh, and Scotty Moore was the guitarist on that record. And he was a guest on my show. He's since uh, passed away, but mm-hmm. I had a great time talking to him. I also had, uh, also no longer with us, uh, George Klein, who was the best man at Elvis Presley's wedding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of those, ah. one of those great people. Um, and uh, I've actually also talked to Peter Gorelnik not only about Elvis, but about uh, uh, Sam Phillips, the man who discovered and recorded. Right. Elvis. Have you have you visited Sun Studios? I've never visited Sun Studios, but I have been to Graceland. Yeah. Yeah, I went to yeah, Graceland yeah. many, many, many years ago. I went to Graceland. And uh, they had, that was before, I don't know how they do it now, but they didn't have an audio tour. They had these little people. I mean, they were Way little, more fun when yeah, the, the people. little people do it. Yeah, they, <laughs> They're they like had, two inches high. They were all, they were all, uh, all of them were like, related to Elvis in some way. Like, his whole family was employed there. And uh, they, they were, each room had a person that knew nothing about anything except that room that they were standing in. Welcome to Grayson today. We hope you learned some things about the king that you did not already know. And I bet you did. This is the TV room, so named for the three TVs that you see here. Elvis used to watch three TVs inspired by President Lyndon Baines Johnson, who watched three newscasts at once. <laughs> I don't know what Elvis needed three TVs for, but but yeah, so I went to Grayson. Uh, and and uh, so I've you know I've always been a fan of Elvis. I still love him. And uh, and and the Beatles. Hey Jude was the song you played. Yes, it was. I've had many opportunities to do shows about the Beatles, and that's that's been great. And gotten, I've, I've never had any of the Beatles themselves. No? I've gotten pretty close. <laughs> uh, I had uh, Cynthia Lennon. I think the only interview Cynthia Lennon did mm-hmm. f- to promote her book was with me. And uh, I was in, at the time that I recorded the interview, I was in France, and she was in Spain. And I sat on the floor of this little apartment in France and recorded this interview with her and she was so lovely it was really 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 fun to talk to her and uh, I talked to uh, Jeff Emmerich who was the engineer the chief engineer on the Beatles recordings wow yeah I talked to what a nice job to have huh yeah I've talked to Mark Lewison who's like the official Beatles historian and almost every other person that's written books about the Beatles some that I couldn't stand and some that I really liked 
Well, it's got to be that way. Yeah, that's right. right. Yeah, there was a guy, and I don't want to say his name, Howard Soons, and he, he wrote a book. <laughs> <laughs> he wrote a book about Paul McCartney. That are, uh, you know, a lot of people are, are, I don't know, they have something invested in tearing down Paul McCartney. And uh, I don't know why exactly. Uh, and he is one of those people. And uh, I, I took offense at his book. Did you let him have it? I kind of did, yeah. I said, when you say there's a sense that Paul McCartney is desperate for a hit. I mean, what do you mean there's a sense? Who has this sense? Mm-hmm. Well, it was me. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was <laughs> well, I, I got a chance to talk to Philip Norman, who I think wrote the best biography of the Beatles, which is called Shout. But the only problem with Shout, it was published in 1981, right after John's death. And I think there was a rush to get it out. And I think that book was unkind to Paul McCartney and kind of began that kind of lionization of John yeah, didn't he subsequently write a biography of Paul McCartney and kind of made up for he, it and he, apologized? He did. And, yeah. and w- when I first talked to him, he hadn't done that yet. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, I, th- I love Shout, but I think you were unkind to Paul McCartney. And he said, you're right, I was, and I'm going to make it up to him. Wow, so <laughs> may- maybe you encourage. I'm the one. You're yeah. the one. You are the one. <laughs> all things revolve around me. Okay, so it's just amazing all the lives that you have intersected with. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm thinking now um, back to... You really got your start very early being fascinated with pop culture. Can you tell people a little bit about... Oh, gosh. I guess I was... I mean, Because you I've are a part been. of all these interviews. <laughs> yeah? I guess I've always been, you know, uh, from the time I was a little kid. Obviously, I listened and absorbed the popular culture that was happening then, but I also was fascinated with the popular culture of the past. You know, I had like a, uh, a wind-up Victrola that this friend of ours had, and I would sit there and play 78s just... You know, you just stare at them spinning around, you know, and listen. And I had a record collection. Before there were the Beatles, I already had a record collection, you know. Uh, I had 45. My first record that I ever bought or that I made my dad buy for me was a 45 of Pocket Full of Miracles right. by Frank Sinatra. Right. So like, I, I was always uh, interested in, in that stuff. And so when my friends, you know, were listening to Cream and Hendrix, which I liked as well, you know, I was listening to Bing Crosby and... Gene Austin and Fred Astaire and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Even though this show is really mm, a joy for you to do and you're not making any money, it seems no. like you're really living out a very important part of your deepest being and kind of almost meant to do something like this. Well, that's nice to hear. Well, I, you know, I really enjoy it. It's really fun to, I, I try really hard not to talk too much. You know, I want, the, want my guests to do all the talking, mm-hmm. but I also don't want a kind of a, you know how you, what, you books, when people write books, they're on a book tour and they go around and they're on all the shows and they say the same thing over and over again. So I really try hard not to ask any questions that they've already been asked. And I want to have a conversation rather than a, you know, tell us about your book. I mean, they're also used to doing a 10 minute thing or a six minute thing where they talk about their book. And I want to have a more expansive uh, canvas to talk. Yeah. You get personal and intimate and I learn many interesting things which we're going to get to a little later my favorite thing is when people say oh no one's ever asked me that before bingo ding 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 you should have a little sound effect ding 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 ding. okay i'm going to keep along my job here of playing songs and having you share stories i thought love was only true in fairy tales and for someone else but not for me Love was out to get me. That's the way it seemed. 
We're yeah. here dancing in the studio and having a, music is just so great. Like, I love interviewing you because it gives me an excuse to play, to play music. This. Yeah. Yeah, from the Fab Four to the Prefab Four. That's the pre. <laughs> Tell us about these guys. I think they're pretty special. I love the monkeys. And, and, you know, the thing is today, people, I think people love the monkeys now too. But there was a sort of a period where the monkeys got a bad rap because they didn't play their own instruments on their records. But you know what? The birds, the. Uh, the, uh, the association, the mamas and the papas, the whoever, the, the love and spoonful. Nobody played their own instruments on their records. They were all played by the same group of of musicians, the Wrecking Crew that played on everybody's record. That the Beach Boys too. Beach Boys too. Yeah. So the the Monkees didn't always play their own instruments. But you know when um, when the cast of Gilligan's Island was hired to be on Gilligan's Island. They didn't actually have to go live on a desert island for the rest of their lives. But when the actors who played the monkeys were hired to play a rock and roll band called the monkeys, they actually became the rock and roll band called the monkeys and remained the monkeys for the rest of their lives. And that's an incredible thing. And, and, and the music that they made stands tall. It's as good as any rock band. That's right. That was a great song. Yeah, we were, we were jiving song. right along. And so who have you interviewed? You've had Michael Nesbitt on, and he's a local man. He was. Yeah, just, he's passed he away. He's passed away. Yeah, yeah Mike, Mike Nesbitt. And it was really fun to have him on. He wrote a book, and uh, he, doesn't want to, he didn't want to talk about the monkeys. In fact, uh, if you were going to read a book by one of the monkeys, how much of the book would you want to be about the monkeys? 75%. So Nesmith's book was about 2% about the monkeys. Wow. <laughs> and he, he was not interested in talking about the monkeys. So I had to find a way to get him to talk about the monkeys. <laughs> and Did you I, pin him down? <laughs> yeah, I found a way. I found a way. Because at that time, the Beatles had just released uh, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band's 50th anniversary edition, which was a beautiful box set that Giles Martin had compiled. And it and contained, among other things, a Blu-ray that had this little... A video uh, that they had made, you know, a little film that they had made for A Day in the Life. And Mike Nesmith is in that film. So I said, how did you happen to be in this film? And therefore, I was able to get kind of behind him and talk about, you know, the 60s. And of course, then he had to say that he was in the monkeys. And then we talked monkeys, mm-hmm. which was really fun. And, and I was so grateful to have him on the show because he also didn't want to do any interviews. But he, he granted me one, which was very nice. He's an interesting man. Um, David Bean, who is a DJ at the station, he's on the board of directors, has some really interesting stories about him as well. And and the link between him and liquid paper. That's right. His mother invented liquid paper. And and that was, she made a fortune, and that yeah. was his fortune that he that she gave him to, you know, basically create the music video. He, you know, he, he had the idea for MTV uh, before there was an MTV. And his, it was he who kind of led to the creation of MTV. And, uh, and you know, he was an innovative guy. Um, I also have had uh, the um, books about the monkeys and on the show, and, uh, you know, I, I love talking about them and listening to their music. They were great. 
Well, you passed the test. <laughs> I played the song. You came up with the right answer. <laughs> All right. And in case you've just tuned in, this is Talk of the Bay on KSQD Santa Cruz. I'm Christine Barrington, and my guest is Gary Shapiro. We are highlighting mm-hmm. excerpts and songs and stories from his marvelous talk show, From the Bookshelf, which has been on the air for a very, very, very long time and is now landing here at The Squid every other Thursday at 6 p.m. It's also been a podcast for a long time, too, before That's anybody right. else was podcasting. Now everybody's podcasting and no one is pod listening. You're one of the originals. Yes. Everyone's casting, nobody's listening. Yeah, that's yeah. a good... That's, how, how could we listen to all the great content that's going it's out a lot, there? But we yeah. do love to put it out, don't we? Yeah. So, I'm going to play another song. Okay. And I like songs. Oh, aren't they great? Sealed. <laughs> and apparently our lips are not sealed because we're here talking, talking, talking. Mine are unsealed. All right, tell us about Lips this. Unsealed was the name of her book. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, Perfect. yeah, Belinda Carlisle. Okay, I have to tell you this one. So the nice thing about doing a program like From the Bookshelf is that publishers and publicists send me books practically every day and ask me to interview the authors, which I can't do because, you know, it's just only on... You don't live in a multidimensional reality? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I don't ever, ever, ever have a guest that has written a book unless I've read their book. Thank God. Yeah, I don't want to talk to them if I... I, Robert Klein, the great comedian, told me once that uh, he wrote a book, which was a very good book. He told me that Larry King, the famous radio interviewer and television interviewer, never, not only did he never, never read a book, but he never even looked at the book until two seconds before he came on the air, Robert Klein says, he'd glance at your book and then he'd ask you incisive questions like, why the raised lettering, Robert? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so it's I was, hope to all of us who have grand <laughs> ambitions but not enough time to read. Yeah, so I, I read it all. And um, they asked me if I would interview Belinda Carlisle. So that was like not one that I sought out, but the, the publisher came to me and I said, well, that's so much fun. Yeah, I'd love to interview her. <laughs> then I read her book and I thought, oh my God, she's not smart. She's dumb. <laughs> it's a terrible book. I didn't like the book, and I thought oh, it's not going to be any good. And I, well, how will I talk to her if I, you know, if I didn't like her book? She's just a delightful person. We had the most marvelous conversation. It was really fun. Um, it was in the middle of the night. She was in France, and I was here in Santa Cruz. So we, it was like uh, one o'clock in the morning that we did the interview. And I had so much fun talking to her. She was absolutely delightful and honest. And when I confronted her with some of the things that were inconsistent in her book, she laughed. (laughs) (laughs) So apparently your talent is talking and singing and not writing. Not writing. All right. Yeah. Um, I I particularly was interested in um, some of the intimate things that she exposed in the book. And then she recorded an audio book of it. And I said, was that difficult, you know, to, it's one thing to write things, but is it, is it difficult? You know, she goes, oh my God, that was the worst. I was so embarrassed. (laughs) And she also posed for Playboy. And I asked her about that. And I said, you know, nowadays, if somebody Googles you, 
the first thing that comes up is an image of you, you know, naked from Playboy. And what do you think about that? She goes, well, I'm proud of those pictures. I think I looked good She's that like, day. like, I look hot, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> well, I'm glad that she feels good about it. That's yeah. what matters. Yeah. All right. Well, let's let's go to our next surprise song. Okay. My doll is as dainty as a sparrow. Her figure is something to applaud. Where you she's look narrow, she's narrow searching. as an arrow. <laughs> and she's broad. You've interviewed her. We're abroad. And you really like her. Should be broad. Florence. It's Florence oh, Henderson. Pounds of fun. That's my little I love this fun. song. I do like Mitzi Gaynor better, though. <laughs> but good for her. You know, I learned a lot listening to this interview. She's had an incredibly wide breadth of yes, a career. Flo- Florence like, Henderson. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was uh, she was the f- the last original Laurie in Oklahoma, the last one of the original company. You know how they replace actors. Yeah. And so she was chosen by Richard Rodgers and Oscar Hammerstein to play Laurie in the last, the last uh, official Oklahoma for the original run. And, of course, most people know her as the uh, mom on the Brady Bunch. And I know her not only because I have admired her for many years as, uh, as a performer, but I knew her. I, I know her. Uh, she's no longer living, sadly. But when I was in high school, I dated her daughter. And um, and she was many years later uh, after that had happened, um, I was getting ready to go to work one day and I was going to tape something on my VCR. So I'll tell you when this happened, the VCR days. And, um, <laughs> and there was a game show that was on TV. It was called Tattle Tales and it was hosted by Bert Convy. And it was a show, it was kind of like the Newlywood game where you had to predict how your partner would answer the question and they were in a soundproof booth. It was Celebrity Mother and Daughter Week. And my old girlfriend, Barbara, and her mother, Florence Anderson, were the guests, among others, on this show. And I said, oh, I have to tape this. So I put it in a tape and I recorded it and then I left and came back. And it was like midnight when I was watching it. And Bert Convy asked, do you remember the first boy your daughter fell in love with? <laughs> and Florence Henderson came on. She goes, well, I don't know if I should mention this little louse's name on television, but it was Gary Shapiro. Oh. And then all the, it was the winning answer and all the lights went up. <laughs> and Bert Convy said, hello, Gary Shapiro. So uh, that was really funny. But uh, so. Did anyone you know see it? My, my, uh, my wife's grandmother saw it. <laughs> And she said, you know, I was watching television the other day, and I'm sure they mentioned your name. This is a $300 question. It is for you. If I can find it. Here it is. Uh, Mothers, oh, you got to think now. Can you name the very first boy your daughter fell in love with? Yes or no? Goodbye. Tough question. Wow. Uh, Okay, Barbara, what do you think? Uh, What will your mom say? Well, I'm thinking in terms of a little older than these girls are, but I think she's going to say yes. Yeah? Definitely. A little older before you had your first real love, you think? Yeah. Yeah. What was his name? Do you remember? Oh, yeah. But I'm not telling. You're not going to tell? <laughs> I'm so glad it's a yes or no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, and she remembers too. Mm-hmm. But she'll tell you. <laughs> okay, she will? All right, good. The answer is yes. Here she comes. 
Florence, uh, what do you think? It's a yes or no question, of course. Uh, can you remember? Uh, I don't think I should mention this little louse's name on television, to tell you the truth. No, actually, he was a very sweet boy, and I, I hope I'm thinking of the right one. Uh, but I would say Gary Shapiro. But that's not the question. The answer oh. is, can you remember yes or no? Oh, that's terrible. Oh, now I feel he's dead. Don't kill me. Oh, can you? Oh, please. Uh, I, I misunderstood. Yes, I... That's right. You're right. <laughs> You're all right. We split the three on the three ways, but time is up. The red section wins it. I will come back, uh, give them their money, and hello, Gary Zaparro. <laughs> I wrote the letter to Florence, and I said I was going to have to sue her because the firm that I was with was going to fire me when they found out I'd been involved with the show People. Ah. <laughs> well, I have a little excerpt because I know you really like her a lot. And so oh, good. I, I Let's hear a little... again. Let's but... hear a little Florence Henderson. <laughs> I started doing television pretty early in my career. Uh, my first TV appearance was actually off-camera on the Ed Sullivan Show uh, when I was in Wish You Were Here. But then I went on to, to appear on the Ed Sullivan Show, and I became a regular on the Jack Parr Show and, and went on to Johnny Carson. And I did every variety show known to man and every game show. And... Uh, you know, live television is is very exciting. I mean, you fly by the seat of your pants, and and uh, you know that experience I think uh, stands you in very good stead if you want to have a long career. You know, um, you your career kind of um, bridges some eras in American entertainment, and you knew some of the really famous people of the of the previous era. I mean, you I saw you on a Bing Crosby show. You were doing a commercial for. That was one of the first things. Yes, I did uh, Oldsmobile yeah. uh, commercial. That was years ago. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, it's it's just interesting how my career developed. And then later, when Bing was hosting Hollywood Palace, uh, I was a guest star on the show. So it's just a, you know, having done commercials on a, a Jerry Lewis special, which he was directing, and never really finished the dress rehearsal. But <laughs> then to uh, work clubs with him and get to know him on that level and Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin and all these people that I got to to know and work with uh my gosh I, I I've been very blessed I think well, that I does sound like a blessed life I have to tell you more about Florence Anderson she was such a wonderful person well I, I was appearing in a play at school I went to Beverly Hills High School and I was the star of the play and Florence Henderson felt bad because she couldn't come because she was appearing in at the Sands Hotel in Las Vegas. So she got a program, which I still have, a big menu from the Sands, and she signed it for me, and she had all of her friends sign it. So, like, Burt Reynolds signed it and Bob Newhart signed it and all these things, Aww. wishing me luck on my play. Wow. Isn't that neat? So you don't have... Six degrees of separation. You have one degree of separation her, and yeah. zero. For a lot of people, it's really. She yeah. introduced me to everybody. Um, it was so nice of her. Like um, she appeared on the Kate Smith show, and Kate Smith, for those of you who don't know, was a big star in radio. I mean, actually big. And um, she was, um, she she was the original uh, God Bless America. She sang God Bless America, mm -hmm. and she was also a really talented blues singer and wonderful before she became a pop singer. And she introduced Abbott and Costello to the American audience, Kate Smith did. Wow. So I got a chance to meet Kate Smith. It was really a thrill. And uh, she introduced me to Jack Parr, who signed Incredible. my book. Yeah. She you introduced have to me. Touch you. Yeah. She introduced me to Johnny Carson. 
And then Johnny Carson introduced me to Lucille Ball, who was sitting there. And, I, I, and there I was looking at Lucille Ball, and I said, wow, it sure is an honor to meet you. And she goes, it's a pleasure to meet you, young man. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that is much more interesting than most of our lives. <laughs> I'm, like I said, I love living vicariously through you. It, yeah. So we're going to pivot to another little excerpt, which I think uh, relates. Okay. Okay. So this is someone you really like. I'm just going to play this. And then you're going to tell us all about this man who I wish was, was my uncle and was at every family event. Oh, that's Orson Bean. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember your first game show? Yes, I, it, was, uh, it was I've Got a Secret. And I didn't have a clue. Huh? Because playing, playing games on a game show is a, a very specific skill. It's, it's, it's a minor one, but a specific one. Being a good game show panelist is like being a virtuoso of the kazoo. <laughs> and I didn't know what the hell I was doing, and I lasted two shows, and they fired me. Really? Yeah, but I was on the very first um, uh, uh, I've Got a Secret, and, uh, and the second, and that was all. And then after a while, they gave me another shot on a show called Password, and by that time, I had figured out how to do it. And then subsequently, I went on to tell the truth, and they kept me on there for seven years, and I sat between... Um, Kitty Carlisle and uh, Peggy Cass, uh, whom I used to call the Ward Healer's daughter. <laughs> Kitty was so elegant with her feather boas, and, and Peggy was just such a you know an Irish gutter sniper. It was wonderful casting. They cast the panel the way you would cast a sitcom. So it wasn't just people answering questions. It, it was it was like kind of an odd dysfunctional family. Whether it was uh, what's my line that was quite intellectual uh, with, with uh, you know, publishers and things. Mm -hmm. John Daly hosted it and Bennett, Bennett Surf, Surf mm -hmm. uh, the, the publisher. And, um, and there was uh, Dorothy Kilgallen, whom America l uh, tuned in to love to hate. They, the people despised her. She was vile. I don't know if she was a violent person, but her, her persona was vile. Did you, did you know her? Did you meet her? Very slightly. But, I mean, she, you love to hate her the way you love to hate Simon cowl on, uh, on American, American Idol, you know. <laughs> Tell us about this wonderful man. Or Orson Bean. What, what a, he, it was such a great opportunity for me to chat with him. I met him. Uh, Tom Lair was invited to this uh, Hungry Eye reunion up in San Francisco. And Tom Lair is a friend of mine. And he wasn't going to go because cause he's Tom Lair. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, you should go and I'll drive you. You know, in other words, complete, please take me. <laughs> and he did, and I got an opportunity to, not, to meet, uh, I met uh, Ronnie Shell, who then was uh, later on my show. Ronnie Shell was a comedian, actor. He played Gomer Pyle's best friend, and he also was a regular on, on That Girl. So Ronnie Shell was on two different networks, two different shows on the, on the same season. Um, and I met uh, Shelley Berman, the great monologist comedian who uh, signed my album for me, and I got a chance to talk with him and his wife. Mort Saul was there, signed an album for me. Uh, here, I came with a bunch of things. And or Orson Bean. It was really a dream come true to just talk with him. And I, I always found him to be humorous and wonderful. He was an actor, but he was best known, I think, as a ubiquitous television personality in the 60s. He was on The Tonight Show 99 times or something, and he was the host of The Tonight Show often. And he was a magician. He could do silly magic tricks. 
and uh, and he was on all these game shows. Uh, and I asked him if he would be on my show, and he said absolutely. And we recorded that interview. I'm so glad we did it. He passed away a couple of years ago. Yeah, he's funny. He's fun. Oh, it's so great. Right? Yeah. It's a real I wish dream. he was my uncle. <laughs> really, really lovely guy. Funny guy. I asked him if, you know, he thought he would be sacrificing his acting career to appear on game shows. And he said, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he goes, he's now, he says, because at that time, actually, he was about to begin a role, a recurring role on Desperate Housewives. He said, now nobody remembers the game shows, so I can act again. He can go back. Yeah. We're going to do one more song. Okay. Because you got my curiosity going. Okay. Here's one more song. And we'll you can cut out all my boring parts later. Mm. It's usually <laughs> my boring parts I cut out. All right, here we go. You never close your eyes anymore when I kiss your lips. And there's no tenderness like before. You're trying hard not to show me But baby about this song bill medley so that's not the original version that's some uh, bill medley later version of it but it's it's a great great record the original song you've lost that love and feeling by the righteous brothers was recorded uh, in 1965 66 and it was produced by phil Spector. and uh it was it is the most played record in the history of am radio but I think the righteous brothers version. the righteous brothers version and um uh and when i played it when i had him on my show i had bill medley on the show and i said okay that was the one billionth and one time that it was played but yeah he, he's a terrific guy it was a wonderful conversation with him and uh and it was lovely talking to him and uh it, it, he the the righteous brothers had several great hits and they were actually kind of a more of a rock and roll band originally before uh before that became their signature tune and uh, Bill Medley wrote a great book, and he still performs uh, often. Uh, in, he's one of those Branson, Missouri guys that performs. Mm-hmm. There. I, I had Andy Williams on the show once, uh, no longer living, but Andy Williams was one of the kings of Branson, Missouri. There. <laughs> My favorite song of his was um, Can't Get Used to Losing You, and I told him that, and he goes, oh, I don't like that song. I hate that song. And I said, oh, did you ever hear the English beat version? He goes, yeah, I hate that more. <laughs> <laughs> he also told me that, uh, Andy Williams told me that uh, he didn't want anybody to ever record Moon River, like one of the most recorded songs in history. He says, that's my song. <laughs> it's all his. Well, you interview historians and sports historians and... Um, oh, yeah, I've had a lot of great historians comedians. on the show. Yeah. David McCullough was on. Really? Yeah, yeah. It was so great to hear him talking in my ear, mm, the voice, you know, right. that you hear so often on yeah. PBS. Many great historians have been on and columnists. I had Pete Hamill on the show. I had uh, so many great people. It's really been uh, wonderful. And I, I was telling you that everyone who's ever been on my show has either died or will die. And <laughs> <laughs> when 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 they do pass, it's really it's really a treasure to be able to say, oh, listen back. Right. I've got this wonderful uh, Patricia Bosworth who was on my show a couple of times and we became friends and she was one of the first uh, casualties of COVID and I was like shocked that I wasn't going to be speaking with her again. But fortunately, I have these wonderful recordings with her. She's a terrific person. 
Wow. And so if people want to catch more of these stories, they need to pay attention because you're on every other week right now. Yeah on KSQD 90.7 FM. So uh, in 2023, what shows are you looking for? How about you tell us about your, your next show? I've got some really good people scheduled and coming on. I have Tom Santapietro, who is a marvelous historian of American popular culture. He's just written a book about the way we were, the movie with Robert Redford and Barbara Streisand. He's an authority on Streisand. And, uh, I've got uh, Charles Elton, who uh, re- wrote a book about Michael Cimino, the great film director who directed... Uh, Heaven's Gate and Deer Hunter. I've got uh, I've got some singer songwriters coming. I've got a lot of great things. Always got stuff going. And uh, oh, I have uh, Jesse Green. He's the chief theater critic of the New York Times and uh, the author of a wonderful book, The Memoir of Mary Rogers, the daughter of Richard Rogers. Uh, but the memoir was written not by Mary Rogers, but by Jesse Green. But it's a really great book. Uh, it's called Shy. That's one of my favorite books of this of 2022. All right. So, so a lot of good things coming. A lot to look forward to. Yeah. And again, if people want to catch your show, it's on live every other week. So you need to pay attention and check the schedule at ksqd.org. Or they can just catch you podcasting. Are these on From the bookshelf.com. That's the best And you can subscribe it uh, wherever you subscribe to podcasts, like Apple Podcasts, for instance. Mm-hmm. And then like five of them will download to your phone. And while you're driving around town, you can... Listen to me. You can just listen to them one after the other. Well, thank you so much for joining me on Talk of the Bay, Carrie. Thank you for having me. Really right. appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. This has been Talk of the Bay on KSQD Santa Cruz, your <laughs> community radio station for the Central Coast.